Dashing through the snow on a one-horse open sleigh, come two Siamese cats. There, come two Siamese cats. You're thinking he doesn't know the lyrics. Well, I do, because those aren't those aren't Santa's sleigh bells. Those are the collars and bells from my two late dear friends, Oscar and Felix, my Siamese cats. So, if you believe in Santa Claus, well, I believe in ghost cats. And welcome to the Christmas Manifesto, the Christmas Festival, Friday, the 25th of December, 2020, the penultimate episode, episode 40, we're in the roaring 40s of the way it is, official Bobby Galinsky podcast. Did I say penultimate? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because next week, New Year's Day, Australia, New Year's Eve, rest of world, is all she wrote. The end. Finished. Gone, baby, gone. Off with the ghosts, back with the Siamese cats, legends, fairy tales, reindeer, Santa, the tooth fairy, all gone. There will be no 42. There will be no episode 42 because, as you know, or as Douglas Adams knows, 42 is the meaning of life. Welcome to the Way It Is official Bobby Galinsky podcast. Merry Christmas. Hanukkah's dust now, and we are in the heart of Christmas. It's Christmas Eve in the rest of the world over there in freezing London and Italy and New York and all those places. So, But here, it's a kind of medium temperature Christmas day. And I hope you're having a wonderful one and will enjoy this action-packed bonus episode. Now, we have a special Christmas treat for you. Santa may not be coming to town for everyone. And yes, I'm Jewish. I know this. If there's children living, um, listening to this under five, tell them the truth. There's no Santa Claus. There is, however, an Easter Bunny. But uh, no, we've got Tony Bonner coming to town, the amazing legend, Australian actor, writer, director, in a beautiful, beautiful, amazing, inspiring interview, which will be airing around the middle of the show. It was pre-recorded, transparency, transparency, just a few days ago before he traveled uh, up north from Sydney to um, Queensland, where I don't think he can get back again right now because of the lockdown. But we'll see. We'll see. At least we've got his voice to travel the airwaves. We have a huge show. We have those two kind of tight little shows, episode 38 and 39. 40 today and 41 New Year's to take us out will be huge. Now, I know some of you have posted and saying, why is the show ending? Well, the way it is, is a 2020 kind of thing. And um, I can neither confirm nor deny the rumors. Can neither confirm nor deny the rumors. I've only been able to say that twice in my life. Once was during the production of Prey, when something happened back in 2008. And it was a joy to take the phone call from the news agency and uh, answer that. And so... For a second time in my life, 
I will neither confirm nor deny the rumors. Dark forces, life, things moving forward. But um, it'll be there for eternity. Long after you're gone, long after you're gone, the way it is will live in the hearts of men everywhere. Now, just a little bit of a, a thank you. A little bit of an acknowledgement of what we've done, what we've accomplished here this year. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had an episode that had over 7,000 downloads. And we have now hit 23 countries where there are listeners. And that's just a little bit of a horn blow there. A little bit of a horn blow there because the good folks, the good folks that know all the technical bits about podcast life, will tell you, and this is online, that if any new episode gets within 30 days of release, more than 3,200 downloads, well, it's in the top 10% of podcasts. More than 7,700 downloads in the top 5% of podcasts. Well, we didn't quite clip that 7,700, but it was a shade over 7,000 a few eps ago. So that put that into the top, top 10% of podcasts. And I am very, very, very proud of that. And uh, that means we've got some folks out there. And just in order, because when this is all history, you may wonder, and this could change next week and, of course, in the future. But right now, people listening, in order because I do like to rank things. And um, I'm going to be ranking the, the best films of the decade, the best films of the year over the next two weeks, um, the best and worst of things, things I love, things that I don't love, predictions, predictions in culture, predictions in politics, predictions in world events. But just so you know, and I didn't even know until the other day when I checked it, in order of listeners around the world. These are the countries, the top 23 countries that are, well, the only 23 countries that are listening to the way it is. And it starts here at home in Australia, the most listeners, followed by the U.S. We do cover a lot of U.S. here. I'm an originally a U.S. citizen, still am a U.S. citizen, dual. So uh, we get a lot of that. U.K. is number three. And that makes sense to me, my three favorite countries. Why? They're English-speaking. Thank you. Number four, out of the blue. I would never have guessed this. Can you guess it? You won't. Austria. Why is my fourth most popular listening base in Austria? I have no idea. It could be the cuckoo clocks. Number five, Israel. Why? Because Jews like shit that's free. Yep, the Jews are listening because podcasts are free. Number six, Canada. I'm a bit hard on Canada. It's kind of like the um, New Zealand of the uh, North America, but I love Canadians and I love hockey. Number seven, you might find strange, Singapore. Singapore. But Singapore has also been quite kind as listeners and through great support with a great, great online retailer there called Rebones in Singapore. If you're ever ordering online in Singapore, fashion, Rebones. Number eight, well, bella, bella, buongiorno, Italia, Italy. Now, I, I would have guessed Italy because of my 
um, mad skills in Italian that I've been learning from Duolingo that I've purveyed over the last 40 weeks. And then Hong Kong, number nine, Hong Kong, you know that they know that I'm a bastion of freedom and that uh, got to smash China, got to smash those commies. And I think the Hong Kong listeners love that. Although I hope it's not um, goodbye Yellow Brick Road because I've got a bad feeling Hong Kong is going to be strangled by communist China. Number 10, Malaysia. Malaysia. We had quite a few listeners after our Malaysian-Australian novelist, actress, guest, Kim Ko, I think in episode four. Then Japan. I've probably had five episodes really extolling the virtues of Japanese technology and fashion. Number 12, France. We love France. Number 13, Hungary, uh, other than talking about Frank Loy and um, the fact that a lot of Hungarians were really Nazi sympathizers. Don't know why I've got so uh, many listeners in Hungary. They're just hungry for knowledge. Number 14, I expected to be higher, but right in the middle there, Germany. Followed by those sneaky anti-Semitic Cossack uh, Russia, Russia. I know that Putin listens to this. Putin loves the way it is. He does. He does. Then Argentina, Uruguay, where all the Nazi war criminals went. They're, they're trying to still chase down my family. Chile, Ukraine. Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, other than shooting down MH17, um, is where my grandparents and great-grandparents are from. Ukraine, good stock. Um... Lebanon. I don't know how Lebanon made the top 20. I really bit hard on the Lebs from time to time. I've got some good Lebanese friends. They're Christian Lebanese and they're not terrorists. Um, but it's there. They're listening. Number 21, a pretty little country. Uh, what's a pretty little country? <laughs> New Zealand. New Zealand. Number 22, Mexico. Mexico. I would thought there'd be more Mexicans listening because um, I'm always tracking them coming across the border. And number 23, never thought the Turks and Caicos Islands. That's my listener base. You're part of it. If you're listening, if you're that guy or that chick in the Turks and Caicos Islands, thank you so much, because that is going to be an absolutely epic trivia question. Carolyn, you've got the, you've got the buzzer. I'll take... Um... A country said, listen to the Bobby Galinsky podcast for $10,000. Okay, Carolyn. What was the 23rd ranked country that listened to the Bobby Galinsky podcast? do it. 10 seconds. Okay, Carolyn, what's your answer? Um, I think it would be Botswana. No, wrong, idiot. No, Botswana. Oh, why would anybody there even have electricity? Can you take a gym? What was the 23rd country most popular listener of the Bobby Galinsky Way It Is podcast? 
Alex, that would be, I believe, the Turks and Caicos Islands. Yes, Jim! Yes, you have won $10,000. Unfortunately, it's a check that has to be co-signed by Alex Trebek, who is currently unavailable, but you hang on to that IOU and you will be able to... Um, at least talk about it at family dinners for years to come. Years to come. All right. And thank you to the, the good folks at Jeopardy and Alex Trebek, who used to call all the time and said, you know, I would listen to your show if it killed me. Absolutely listen to your show if it killed me. So we've gotten past that. We've gotten past that. So maybe I'll get a few thousand more listeners. Maybe I'll get some more countries in the future as it goes into the ether. But I just want to let you know what you're part of. Now, don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> no, uh, no, still another episode. Don't cry. It, it's, there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in podcasting. There, there actually is crying in life, though. I cry at all the sad movies. And um, I, uh, I'm very emotional. That's why all Ron Howard films make me cry. And all Telstra ads you know, when uh, in Qantas ads, when the families get together at Christmas time and stuff like that, those those make me cry. I had a bit of a memory the other day when I was in the city of a crying uh, a crying event that was a bit uncomfortable. But um, I thought, well, you know so much about me, I don't mind sharing a little self-deprecating story, um, courtesy of the good folks at Wilson Car Parking. People say, do you see a trend? I said, there's no crying in baseball. That's Tom Hanks. You talked about Wilson Car Park. Tom Hanks had a had a uh, a ball called Wilson in Castaway. What is the connection? There is no connection. The only meaning this all has is the meaning that you're putting on it. But Wilson, which owns most of the car parks in Melbourne, um, I was going to see a film many years ago, many years ago on Russell Street at the old Greater Union Russell Street Cinemas. Now, those of you that are Melburnians know those cinemas or used to, they're gone. They're gone. I think it's the QT Hotel now. But they were classic, old, kind of slightly grotty, but wondrous cinemas. They were the big city cinemas. And I'm trying to remember what I went to see. I think it was Mulholland Drive. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure it was Mulholland Drive, the David Lynch epic um, with Naomi Watts at her best and the rest of the cast. But... Uh, it was a matinee, and I was kind of playing hooky from things I should have been doing. I drove into the city and parked. I, it was either Russell or Exhibition Street, one of the Wilson car parks. And it's like, you know, middle of summer. It's like 40 degrees. It's so bright. <laughs> Australia in the summer when it's light is so bright. It's like the sun. And, uh, you know, park in the car park and uh, the, um, um, you know, what do you call it? I'm just lost for for words here. The ramp. The ramp. Sometimes, I hate that one. Sometimes I just can't think of it. But I don't script this. So that's why you get this extemporaneous moments and moments of inspiration. But I'm um, coming down the ramp, walking, and I'm about to go outside. Now, you come from the dark ramp to the outside. So it's like coming from a dark cinema to the outside. It's fucking bright. It's like, whoa. And the little ramp where the boom gate is is open. And I walk out of the exiting cars, looking behind me to make sure there's no car to run me over. And the boom gate is up. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, the boom gate's up. Maybe I don't have to pay when I go out. Maybe it's eternally up. But it wasn't eternally up. A car had just 
exited. And so the boom gate was coming down, unbeknownst to me, who was blinded by the light and was looking ahead across the street. And uh, the boom gate came down just as I walked underneath it. And the exact height of the boom gate, even with all the tape and everything on it, was the height of the bridge of my nose. Enough not to smash the bonnet of a car, but to hit the windscreen and keep cars coming out. So at the exact microsecond that it came down, it was like, oh my God, too late. And it hit me so fucking hard on the nose. Damn near knocked me out. And all I could think of is don't pass out. Don't cry. Don't cry. No crying in baseball. But when something that big hits you so hard on my big fat Jewish nose, I just broke into tears and nosebleed. Um, but I kept going. I kept going. I ducked underneath, staggered, and kept going. And it was so embarrassing. Cars were coming in to the lot, and they were looking at me aghast and laughing. That made me so angry. But then I you know, immediately processed it, that I would have thought it was funny seeing somebody hit in the nose with the uh, boom gate. I would have checked to see they're okay, and they could see that while I was staggering, at least it was okay. Oh, it was so embarrassing. So it is okay to cry. It is okay to cry. Sometimes I'm a bit um, headstrong. I was looking at an apartment with my lovely life once years ago, and the um, glass doors from the living room to the courtyard didn't have those little decals on them. And uh, I didn't think there were glass doors. And I walked straight out to talk to her. And whoops, the glass got in my way. That was another cry. That was another cry and bleed. And I do remember at the old Capitol Theater, Capitol Cinema uh, in Sioux City, uh, coming out of, I think it was First Man in Outer Space. Scary, scary film when I was like eight or nine and running out of the matinee because I was so scared and uh, running into the glass doors. So uh, things come in threes. I think those are the threes. Anyway, so now you know I can handle a boom gate and I don't mind crying from time to time. Now, what do I do mind? What I do mind is when people won't have won't have a, a discussion and they get hardcore. And just to use a very simple, very simple illustration, I want you to stop what you're doing right now, no matter where you are, and hold up your hand, your right hand, in front of you like you're taking an oath, like you're, uh, you know, taking the oath at the uh, in court. Your right hand. It doesn't matter if you're left-handed. Hold up your right hand. It doesn't matter if you're driving. No matter what you're doing, just do it, okay? Now, what do you see? What do you see? You see the back of your hand. Now, if I was in front of you, what would I see? I'd see the front of your hand. Are we seeing the same thing? We're looking at the same thing. We're looking at your right hand. But you would swear you're looking at the back of your hand. I would swear I'm looking at the front of your hand. We're both describing the same thing. Now, that argument can be easily ameliorated. But it's really no different than trying to get to the center of town from different suburbs and different cities and arguing. And that's what politics and life seem to have become this year. That is my recollection during the tidal wave of the way it is about 
We can be discussing the front of the hand or the back of the hand, but there's no middle ground. No one wants to just say, okay, I see what you mean. I see your perspective. It's just a hand. And I hope that that will, that will get less aggro over the next few years. But you know what? It's not. So that's one of my predictions. It's going to get way worse. You thought it was bad now? Wait about 90 days to six months. And the U.S. especially, after the uh, inauguration, the U.K. with Brexit and COVID. Oh, I feel so bad for everybody there. Everybody there completely locked down. And here in Australia, where it's fractionalized and fractured from state to state. And it's becoming quite un-Australian. People are state versus state. It's like one big, you know, state of origin uh, drama here. We just closed our borders to uh, some folks from uh, over in New South Wales, which is where Sydney's located, because the wolf law has flown up again. Wolf flu has flown up again. New, new strain. Don't strain yourself. Yes, strain yourself. So it ain't over. We do have the vaccine, though. We do have a va We have two vaccines. Two vaccines, which I'm quite excited about. Um, I have no hesitation in taking the vaccine. Wait a while. I don't want to be the first, so to speak, and uh, to want to be the last. But, um, you know, it's interesting that all the people who were inoculated against smallpox in the early 1900s are now all dead. Makes you stop and think. But, more importantly, did any of you see the Jupiter conjunct Saturn the other night? The star of Bethlehem, baby Jesus! This isn't science, bitches, but it is a science astrophysics segment. The other night, the Jupiter conjunction with Saturn was so bright in the sky. It's been like 800 years since it's been that close. And astrophysicists, astronomers, astrologers, and theologists tend to theorize and agree. See, we can all agree. Can't we all get along? Yes. Tend to agree that the star of Bethlehem Back when Jesus was born, one of the early Jewish experiments in franchising, one of our first, that the star that the three wise men, and how wise would they have been, really, to be walking across the desert with a couple of donkeys and stuff? You know, a couple of donkeys, move your ass, wise man. Um, but they saw that star of Bethlehem, that could very well have been the Jupiter conjunct Saturn. Everything can eventually be explained. Everything. In about 20, 30, 50 years, people go, whatever happened to Grandpa? Oh, he died. Did he die of climate change? No, we never had that, Billy. It never happened. That was a theory that never came true. Oh, kind of like Y2K? Yeah, like Y2K. Mm, okay. Okay, Billy. That's all right. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. But what what about um all the people that said Al Gore was a genius when he said the icebergs were melting and the polar bears would be homeless and that 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 John Kerry that said that there'd never be peace in the 
Mideast with Israel, he was declared a genius in geopolitical Mideast nuances. What, what about those people? Well, as Grandpa said, those people historically turned out to be insane and wrong. But, but what about the people that followed them and, and said it was all true? Well, they were like lemmings, Billy. Lemmings going off a cliff. Well, what, what about Extinction Rebellion people? Oh, those are the ones living in the trailer parks without gas or electricity, reading the Bible upside down and talking to themselves. And But what about but Black Lives Matter and and the dangers of 5G and uh, and um, controlled robots from Russia getting inside us with n- nanomolecular technology and all those other things. Where did where did they go? They went away, Billy. They went away. Did they go away forever? No. They just went back on the record. They went back on the record. That is part of what we call history. History. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. Died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. My firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yes, and for the second to last time, once and for all, it's today in history. So you can learn like little Billy did. And on this day, on this day, December 25th, Christmas Day in history. Well, in the year one, (laughs) one was the first Christmas. Duh. According to calendar maker Dionysus Exiguus. Amazing, amazing. In 1066, huge year, William the Conqueror, or Bill the Q, is crowned King of England at Westminster Abbey, completing the Norman Conquest of England. Not the Norman Lear Conquest, the Norman Conquest. Ooh, 1741, on this day, astronomer Anders Celsius. Anders Celsius. What do you think he introduced? Oh, uh, the lawnmower? No, liberals. The centigrade temperature scale. Celsius centigrade, Celsius centigrade. There you go. On this day in 1868, history repeats itself despite bitter opposition. Bitter. Fuck. U.S. President Andrew Johnson grants unconditional pardon to all persons involved in the Southern Rebellion, the Civil War. Well, something that our President Donald Trump just did also, despite bitter opposition, granted a bunch of pardons, RTFN. In 1991, Mikhail Gorbachev formally resigned as president of the USSR in a televised speech. You know what? You just could not look away from that birthmark. That's the problem with Gorby. Had that massive birthmark all over his head. And, you know... Horrible for TV. Horrible. Now, today in history, more important than little baby Jesus, in 1962, The Kill a Mockingbird, the film adaptation of the novel by Harper Lee, one of my five favorite novels and my all-time favorite film, directed by Robert Mulligan and starring Gregory Peck, 
was released. Gregory Peck won the Best Actor in 1963. Oh my God, I could watch that film over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And as I've said many times, a bit of a bucket list thing that ain't gonna happen was I would have loved to have rebooted that film and updated it in today's moral hierarchy. Amazing. I'd love to see the stage play that Aaron Sorkin has written, although, you know, I hate the theater. Anyway, on this day in music, in 1896, The Stars and Stripes Forever was written by John Philip Sousa. And in sport, in 1862, I'm serious as, 40,000 people watched the Union Army men play baseball at Hilton Head, South Carolina. Did you know that the legendary Christmas truce takes place on the battlefields of World War I between the British and German troops? Instead of fighting, soldiers exchanged gifts and played football. That was on December 25th, 1914. I do not believe that. I do not believe that at all. Famous birthdays. Isaac Newton. Ooh. What was that? It was a fucking apple hitting your head, dude, man. Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. And would you believe on this day in 1989, Japanese scientists achieved, I love the Japanese, they're so clever, achieved minus 271.8 degrees centigrade, the coldest temperature ever recorded. And how fantastic that it's the same day that's centigrade, centigrade, Celsius, was introduced back in 1741. See how these things all come back and repeat themselves? Doesn't that absolutely amaze you, the serendipity? If people say, oh, there's nothing to astrology, there's nothing to history. Well, it all comes round, all comes round. And um, a famous death, a couple of famous deaths on this day, Charlie Chaplin, the little tramp, Never was a big fan. No, he was talented. Never a big fan. I've known a lot of tramps in my life. Trust me. He was the little tramp. Nicolae Ceausescu, a really beloved, wonderful guy from Romania. He died on this day. Dean Martin, oh, the crooner. Dean. James Brown, motherfuckers. He died. And also George Michael. George Michael. I never liked Wham!, Take me out before you go, go. Hate that song. You know, I do. I hate it. Hate that song. Hate, hate, hate. But I really love George Michael's music. Amazing. A lot of crooners died today. A lot of crooners. Think that's a coincidence? I don't know. And speaking of music, one last thing to add to the, to add to the mix on this day. On this day. Are you ready? Are you ready? On this day, in 2004, Matt Bellamy, some of you may know who he is, from Muse, a great band, on this day in 2004, the Muse world tour ended, and Matt Bellamy smashed 140 guitars on the tour. That is a Guinness Book of World Records, 140 guitars smashed by a musician in a band on tour, you know? Pete Townsend from The Who? Suck on that. Not even close. And that was Today in History. 
Now, we've had enough of history. Let's let's go for about 60 years of history all in one. And I'm ham-handedly and delightfully segueing to my interview, my Christmas interview, which was pre-recorded just a few days ago. And it is with the amazing Mr. Tony Bonner. So I'm just going to cut this in right now with the intro and sit back for the next 30 minutes and listen to a legend. Merry Christmas here. Good afternoon, everybody. And I'm very proud to have an amazing guest on board with us today on The Way It Is. Uh, Those of you that are familiar with our interview series, we've had novelists, we've had international painters, um, actors, writers, musicians, and uh, we're coming home here today. We're coming home to Australia for one of the countries and, and the world's foremost menches and, and actors, um, Mr. Tony Bonner. Tony, Tony is one of Australia's most successful working actors. He has a career that spans over 40 years. And in recent years, Tony has used his skills gained during the career to train and motivate young actors and models through privately held workshops and classes throughout Australia, New Zealand, and Los Angeles. And a lot of Tony's students are now enjoying worldwide success on TV, in film, and on the stage. But a lot of you would know Tony from his work in the Anzacs, the legendary man from Snowy River, the epic The Light Horseman, Power Without Glory, Skippy, Cop Shop, Skyways. Um, his filmography is is over 70 entries there. And these are a few of the award-winning roles Tony has played. His stage work includes the production of Love Leathers, Only When I Laugh, The Sentimental Bloke, The Cellophane Ceiling, Are You Being Served, and The Three Musketeers. And his last play he directed was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, He was a Best Supporting Actor in 2004 with an AFI. He has the Order of Australia. I had the opportunity to meet him in person in Sydney at Fox Studios some years back. And I'd like to welcome... Uh, the ultimate all-arounder, uh, Tony Bonner. Good afternoon. Hey, Bobby. Uh, uh, thank you for that intro. It sounds like I wrote it myself. Well, <laughs> you know, per- per- perhaps you did. I uh, was looking through your filmography, and um, um, not to patronize you or blow smoke, but it's just it's just a- absolutely epic. There must be at least over 70 projects that you've worked on there alone, just after a, a cursory cursory glance. Yeah, uh, I, there would be, Bobby, and uh, I, I heard you mention uh, that I've been going around the block for 40 years. It's a bit longer now. It's about 50 or 55 years. Um, so that uh, piece of copy you just uh, read uh, was something my agent or an agent I had back then uh, put together when I'd uh, been 40 years in the business. So, uh, uh, no, I'm uh, kind of pushing uh, about 55 now, uh, Bob. So, um, yeah, and there's lots of things that are not there uh, that were short films or indie films back in the day. I mean, indie films today uh, are really great and substantial and interesting uh, uh, productions. Uh, back when I started, uh, if you did a festival film or a, a, an indie film back in the 60s, it was really a struggle uh, for the producer, writer, director back then to get the project up. They didn't have the budgets uh, or the cameras or the, the technical abilities that uh, you have today with drones 
uh, with with uh, red cameras. Um, so it's a di- it's a different world, Bobby. But I've I've gone from kind of black and white in the uh, early '60s uh, through to where we are today, uh, with features being shot on iPhones and and uh, uh, GoPros. So uh, it's been a hell of a ride, mate. Wow. So you 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 started actually before there was even electricity, and now you're using drones. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. I remember you in Birth of a Nation. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. I, I know. I just, I just loved it. Kirk Douglas and I, we got along great. Wonderful. Um, I, uh, I don't want to ask a trite question, but um, I do have to ask a stock standard question because it's one I'm actually quite curious in. What, what was the most enjoyable role that you had that was um, – you know, something that was just like a, a dream. It, it surpassed your expectations. And contrary to that, um, uh, and you don't need to name um, any names of people involved, but what would be your uh, your worst experience? Um, and yeah, well, a, it, I, I, I've got, I'll dive in, Bobby. There's been no worst experiences uh, since the day I left home uh, when I was uh, about 15 and got on the road uh, uh, joined J.C. Williamson's theaters back in those days as a dresser wow. uh, and then took some singing classes and dancing classes. Everything I've done, every production I've been involved with, I've wanted to be because of some reason, some positive reason. So I've never had a bad experience, man. I've been in, in films that, and, and, and theater and television that, sure, I could have been better. Uh, the production could have been better. But that's the journey of, of, of knowledge. I mean, I, I don't have any uh, disasters. I learn from uh, every hiccup or mistake I may may have made, and I've made plenty. So uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm still here, Bobby. I've just learned. I've copped it on the chin. Uh, I've moved forward. And when another character came up uh, that was similar to one that I thought I didn't give a fullness to I sure did the second time uh, uh, so it's there's no no negatives for me uh, now what what was my dream role I hope the next one to come Bob uh, as I'm saying uh, I love without, that. Being, without being trite either I've loved every character I've played uh, the good in them and the bad in them um, as I tell my students, you know, when you're playing a bad character, look for the good in him. And when you're playing a, a good character, look for the, some evilness in there. Look for some darkness in there. Don't just play that one aspect. So uh, I've enjoyed it all, Bob. I mean, I love the Anzacs. I love the character uh, that I was given to play in that uh, lieutenant then Captain Armstrong, uh, his journey was extraordinary. Uh, I, I did a movie for ABC television a long time ago that won a lot of awards, not for me, uh, just for the director, Oscar Whitbread, for the writer. Uh, it was about a farmer, a sheep farmer, who was just going through hell uh, with drought on his property and the loss of his family, suicide all around him from his fellow farmers that just couldn't take it any longer. Uh, uh, that film was titled End of Summer. Uh, I love that. Uh, that's a long time ago. And that character, Paul, still lives with me uh, because Paul, there, there, there are Pauls still out there in the Western District of Victoria uh, and New South Wales and Queensland that are still living that same tough country life of drought, of loss of stock, of fire and famine, loss of family. Um, 
so I loved that. Uh, Power That Glory, the, uh, the, the 26 part series I was in uh, uh, from the great novel, uh, Power That Glory. Um, uh, so there's been a bunch of them, Bobby, a bunch of them. Wonderful. And I th- think that's something, um, I've been here 25 years, and something that connects with me is, uh, and, and I hope this comes out the right way, you represent the character, you represent the Australianness, um, and obviously in, in local films and uh, applicable to the character you play in international, but you you personify this this dreamy image I had of Australia um, when I was a kid. I had always wanted to come here and uh, would just devour Australian films and TV and stuff like that. I took a, a course at University of Colorado um, film school there, and um, there was a whole quarter devoted to Australian cinema and TV. It was so bizarre, and uh, it was because the the professor, uh, his his wife was Australian, and he just thought it would be cool, and that's where I just, um, uh, got addicted to it. And I think um, perhaps, I mean, looking your your parents were were performers your your dad played baritone in, in musicals your mom was a soprano um i read that that growing up in the arts would probably have given you an unbelievable unbelievable comprehensive background that let's say you know instead of coming as a you know an accountant or an iron worker and saying oh i think i'd like to be uh a creative uh you were born into a creative family well, yeah, I, I certainly was that, um, but I was never directed towards uh, taking on the family tradition. I mean, my father uh, didn't, didn't ever, I can't ever remember a conversation with him about following in his footsteps or the love of theatre because there was no real film or television obviously back when my dad was doing it in the 20s, 30s and 40s um, there was only theatre and music hall obviously and, um, so uh, I, I kind of stumbled on it Bobby, it wasn't something that I I was moulded into doing oh, okay. I, 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 I left the school uh, I started as a dresser uh, what's called a dresser in theater uh, for J.C. Williamson's. Uh, I got a job of a day uh, in a very famous uh, window uh, display company here in Sydney called Oswald Seeley. And I worked there as a real young salesman. And I just got seduced by window dressing as well because when I looked at it later in my life, it was it was the same as being an actor. When I was a window dresser, I would look at an empty window that I was given to promote something, a washing machine or a motorcycle or a, a men's suit, whatever the hell it was. Um, and and that was an image of, of mine, looking at this empty window, how I could focus an audience walking past the the, the the people walking past on the street, which is a, an audience in, uh, to the theater um, of looking and me attracting that audience to look at the washing machine or the motorcycle or the suit. And now how can I best dress that? How can I focus uh, with, the, with the time of year? Will I do the window that feels like autumn or winter? Uh, will I have it bleak? Will I have it? What? And I would have to create um, a feeling, an image, 
uh, a visuality uh, of what how I was going to sell whatever it was I was given to sell in that window. And theatre's kind of the same. You start with a an empty stage. You start with a, a, a an empty emptiness, and you read the script and you start adding. You start visualizing. You start smelling, tasting uh, what each page you turn uh, until you create the character until you work out how he's going to walk and how is he going to have a cough is he going to what what am i going to give him what other layers to the onion am i going to give this guy uh, to make him more than one-dimensional more than black and white on the pages i'm reading i need to find moments that an audience sits there and watches this guy and kind of gets to know him yes absolutely absolutely and that um, that that has taken you all the way through your through your career. When we, when we met, um, I was in the throes of trying to get my script and production of Dust and Glory up. Yeah, and, great idea, great script, and, and the Red X trial. I remember it vividly, Bobby. I and, uh, I loved that period. Uh, I think it was a Citron that won the first one. It, uh, it, it was. It uh, a won the won the first one. A Peugeot. Um, Citroen's finished in the first 10. In fact, it made yeah. Peugeot in Australia in 1953. And when I had finished the script, the, um, and again, no, no bullshit, the first person I thought of was, oh, the, the, this guy is Jelly Knight Jack Murray. This is a guy who's seen it all. And he maybe a couple people might say he's too old to race, but he can prove that he's not too old to race. And that was, a, um, you know, we, we had a director at the time. We had, uh, Simon West from Conair and things like that. We had we we thought we had the money. We know that story, um, and um, that kind of went uh, sideways several times. But um, they, if if not for that, I would not have met you. And um, like I say, I look at anything that's uh, um, turns out to either go sideways or have a bit of a hiccup as what's the win. And uh, the time we spent there, a couple hours at Fox Studios, um, was epic to get to get to know you that day. Um, what what are you working on right now? What have you got in in the pipeline? Oh, uh, a couple of projects. Uh, if if the money comes in, Bob, and it's difficult as you know as a producer, uh, the money is uh, unfortunately what it's about. Uh, unless you can find a, a group of really supportive actors and a director and a DOP, and uh, no one asks for money because they love the script, and you just go out and do an indie and and and, uh, and get it done that way. Other than that, you've got to come up with uh, a budget uh, to uh, hire cast, crew, locations, wardrobe, costuming, makeup. Um, so that's what I'm working on on a picture that, that I've been working on with the writer for probably eight years now, The Nowhere Man, um, set up in the north of Australia through Kakadu and Darwin area, uh, starts in Melbourne uh, in a legal, a law, court situation. Uh, I won't go into the whole storyline, but uh, it's uh, really interesting about a young Aboriginal lawyer uh, that uh, suddenly finds himself uh, and his spirit and his nature up there in Kakadu uh, and not in the $3,000 suits uh, hmm. hanging around Malvern and, and Turak and South Yarra. He, he finds out who he is up north. Um, so I have that and a, and a really great script called Lucky Valentine about an American baseball player right at the end of his career and he's 
becoming a bit of a pain in the butt to everyone there in Los Angeles. And his manager wants to get rid of him. Uh, uh, and his manager sees a, a, a team in Australia uh, that's uh, advertising or looking to, uh, to, to pick up uh, a key player. And his manager says, hey, this could be my out, getting rid of this guy. And so he, he sells his player off to this team in Australia, but little beknownst to the manager, all lucky, uh, that the team is a cricket uh, club in Australia. So lucky turns up in Australia thinking he's going to play baseball, uh, but he's going to play cricket. And it w- goes from there. It's, it's funny. I like that. Uh, I like yeah, that. I like I like both of those, and uh, I'm a t- I'm a tough sell too because I've heard just about everything. So it's it's nice to hear something fresh. And and with with the um, woo flu hopefully a bit behind us now, and yep. investors um, realizing they can't make money in the um, markets um, reliably or in you know the banks and stuff like that and real estate, but film. Phil, it's it's been a strange time now. Everybody's had six months to sit at home and watch a thousand films on TV streaming, and with Warner Brothers and three other studios saying that they're going to do day date releases next year, um, which could be the death knell of cinemas worldwide. Yep. Um, it's actually a win, a silver lining. Um, there's always a silver lining, like you said, in, in every project that you've worked worked on. Um, there is no bad project. There's the win. And the win is that people realize now that you get a good project up, it'll, it can stream and it's going to get some eyeballs on it and it's going to make some money. And it's not the impossible crapshoot to get it to the Hoyts or Roadshow or, you know, the, the standard distributors these days. You, you bet. I think, you know, the big, the, the, the company that's really won uh, and will get even bigger are the Netflix uh, the stands, the uh, the you know the the streaming services that uh, are just gonna. I don't know if the as you were just saying, Bobby. I don't know if the cinema is going to survive this. Uh, uh, it may become an art form, and uh, cinemas will close. The actual hard top, the the structures will close. A couple will stay open, and they'll kind of become art houses, and people will go to see. You know what? What they what we used to go to, to the movies. You know, and and that experience of sitting in the dark and with a big screen uh, and and getting lost uh, to what's going on up there on that screen. Uh, I think just Netflix and uh, people at home now with big screens that you can buy. You know, once they were ten thousand dollars, now you can buy a a monster screen for three grand. Exactly. Uh, you know, and so people are going to stay home. Yep, it's it's completely changed. It's completely yep. changed, and we'll we'll see who survives out of that. And I guess um, ham-handedly talking about Survivor, I read an article on your website by David Chittick where uh, yep. it called you a survivor, and yep. um, you had some challenging times with uh, um, credits and with personal issues and things like this, but. You look. You look at you today. You you look fit as a fiddle. You you. I only interview extremely smart and ridiculously good-looking people, as you know, um, <laughs> such as myself. And uh, 
Uh, you, whatever challenges you had, and I mean, you're, you've been in the Pantheon of film with, you know, Tony Curtis and George Miller and Kirk Douglas, and um, everyone's gotten to work with you rather than you working with them. What, what do you think is the one thing that's always kept you going where a lot of people um, either tanked or, or tanked in life? I could, you know, riddle off 50 actors that didn't make it in life um, and are no longer with us and ones that just fl- flamed out. Um, because they couldn't handle the tough times. What's what has got you through the tough times? Uh, I, I, I really don't know, Bobby. I I could become very wax lyrical here and become philosophic. I think I think it was just a stubbornness that 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 I wasn't going to kind of uh, uh, do what uh, sometimes I thought about doing. Um, you know, uh, sometimes I'd, I'd run my motorcycle uh, at night, you know, in, in the pitch black sometimes, and I'd just turn my lights off on the bike and just hold the throttle open, just roaring down the road in the black. Uh, and then a spirit, something inside me would just say, this is not the way to go, man. Your daughters are going to really... And i just punch the lights back up and... Uh, wow. I, you know, I danced with the devil. Everyone has, Bob. You know, I danced with the devil a couple of times, and the bastard hasn't beaten me yet, and he's not going to. I'm just stubborn. I, I, I just, you know, uh, I'm a real easy person in life, uh, but I'm not going to give in to my own kind of weakness. And uh, I sure I have a weakness, and the weakness is that that I don't. I get hurt easily. I'm not strong in a lot of emotional ways. Uh, a look can kill me. Where uh, you know, six punches in the in the head. I'm used to that. Uh, but a look will just cut my heart out. So uh, I, I just needed to to kind of get tougher, uh, Bobby, and without be- becoming hard. Uh, I just needed to 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 be stubborn and. Uh, uh, not get beaten by expectations or by other people's thoughts or perceptions. Uh, so I rode that uh, I rode that storm for a lot of years, Bob, and uh, uh, with the grace of a higher power and a lot of good pals, um, you know, I fell out the other end and I survived. Well, God, God bless, because uh, I can I can relate on on all levels. I can relate on on all levels there. And uh, you you mentioned that. Perhaps the only real mark we leave on the world relates to family. Um, yep. I know you've got some daughters. Do you have? We have three daughters. Yeah, I've got three daughters and six grandchildren, and uh, they are a major. My daughters, uh, because uh, that's when I was going through my uh, uh, my tough times. Uh, my daughters were, uh, without question, uh, the, the the total reason why. I kept going. I just uh, didn't want to feel that uh, because, you know, uh, you're just handing the the, the blame or the the faults to other people. And and that's what I never, ever wanted to do. And that's what uh, I got stubborn about. And I just, uh, as I said, I rode the storm and and my daughters um, were an important part, unbeknownst to them. But I wanted to see them all grow up and get married or live with people and be happy. And, uh, and you know, and here I am. I've got six great-grandchildren, uh, three great-daughters. Uh, what a blast, Bob. What a blast. Wow. Wow. I 
I won't say that the only mark you leave on the world is fa- is family because um, I I don't have the pleasure of knowing your family. I know you, but I take in the images that I've seen of you over the years. Um, uh, one of the most famous, uh, in fact, you were just recently uh, posted on social media from from the Light Horseman from the uh, um, Simon Windsor film um, yeah. with the epic DOP Dean Semler um, stretching Correct. out on the horse, and that's. That's burned into my memory um, things for you, even uh, back in the Skippy days that uh, um, are, are, with, are with me f- forever. So um, perhaps, yes, family is, is forever eternal, but uh, I can't underestimate some of the unbelievable work, work that you've done. I've never seen it, you in theater because um, I'm not a fan of theater. A lot of people get on me. <laughs> get on me for that i just can't sit through theater it's a i'm a i'm a i'm a flat screen two-dimensional um kind yeah. of guy because uh shallow is is my middle name and uh um the, theater is a hard one for me i just can never resonate with 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 the theater um yeah. f- film yeah. film takes me through time in a time machine theater I'm looking around, um, wondering where the bathroom is and um, how many seats it is to get out and why there's an intermission in an hour and 17 instead of 43 minutes, things like that. Yeah. Film, I'll be in a three-hour film and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll be lost. And those are the images that, yep. I, that I have of you. Um, can, I, can I ask you about uh, a bit of your, you know, you are an all-rounder. Um, you're big in charity, big with the Surf Life Saving Club, the Order yep. of Australia, um, you're not the one-dimensional film actor that comes out and says stupid political things um, or endorses products we don't want. You're um, a very grounded guy. Have you always been like that, or is it something that helped helped you get through tough times, or is it um, what what brought you into the charity and to the, the Surf Life Saving Club and uh, in the? Yeah, no, I've, I've always I've always just. Uh, in, 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 intuitively wanted to be of service, uh, Bobby, and and the Life Saving Club uh, uh, did it for me. Uh, uh, just doing patrols every weekend and public holidays. Uh, I've been president of the, the Life Saving Club a couple of times over the years. I'm still a director down there. I still uh, I'm down in the, if I'm here in Sydney and I'm not teaching or. Uh, filming of a day, uh, I will put my head into the club just to see if there's something I can do. Uh, um, and I've done that with all the charities. But I, I've been with the Variety Club, a, a charity for underprivileged, handicapped kids, yep. uh, for maybe uh, 55 years. I joined that in uh, London uh, with Roger Moore, God bless him, and, and Susan George. Wow. Uh, I was about to do a picture with Susan. I joined. Uh, at Battersea, at a, a fun fair in London, I joined the Variety Club, and when I came back to Australia, it was just starting back here um, in Australia, and I joined in Melbourne. Uh, I was on the committee down there in Melbourne for years, and then when I moved up to Queensland to live, uh, I was on the uh, a director up there, and I'm an ambassador for the Variety Club of Australia. Um, it's just, uh, I just like it. The Smith family, uh, Hetty Johnson's Braveheart for uh, abused children. Um, Hetty does, what a job Hetty Johnson does uh, for young people, children primarily. Uh, I'm really proud of being an ambassador for, for Hetty. Uh, uh, so 
Yeah, I'm just I'm a lucky fellow. I got three grown, healthy daughters that have got children. Uh, uh, you know, I don't want to be uh, really grateful and thankful for. So if I can help along with a charity somewhere, you bet I love it. Wonderful, wonderful. Now you're still a young guy, but you've 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 been around a few months longer than me. And I just wondered if you kind of look back over over your career, you look off the staggering amount of films that you've done and how things have changed. And these days, I lament that um, sometimes perhaps I rant that it's not about the purity of the film or theater experience anymore. It's about lawsuits like we're just in the news so prominently today for a prominent actor. Uh, it's about lawsuits from studios. It's about Me Too. It's about back-end deals. It's about um, absolute uh, corruption that's rife everywhere. It's about, oh my God, you have to be gay to play a gay actor. You have to, you know, is the time going to come where you have to be born in Manly to play someone from Manly? Uh, oh, I, I, would, I would presume so. It'll, it'll, it'll become that silly. Uh, uh, yeah, you bet. Uh, I mean, I hope, uh, I hope my industry, I hope the actors in the world uh, revolt against this. I hope the, I mean, it's 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 bizarre and ridiculous. Uh, to you, you want to employ an actor to bring something to a, a role, to bring uh, that black and white words of a page um, to life. Um, along with the director and the, the cinematographer to, and your fellow actors, obviously. Uh, and that's why you employ an actor to give it, uh, I hope, um, this, this life. Um, but if you're not the serial killer you're playing or if you're not the uh, whatever the character is, then, then you're going to find an actor that is a serial killer to play a serial killer it just doesn't make sense. No, it's the old story, the uh, Martin Scorsese story. If you want a taxi driver, get an actor. Don't get a taxi driver. Um, which um, is ridiculous, but I think, uh, I hope the pendulum will swing back the other way. So do I, Bob, so do I. Okay. Tony, it's been an absolute immense pleasure. Uh, thank you for your generosity, and uh, God bless to you and your family. Uh, Bobby, thank you. Uh, it's nice to catch up with you again, uh, and I look forward to doing it in the flesh uh, when I can get down to Melbourne uh, and we can uh, share a cup of coffee together. Uh, I thank you for your time, Bob, and I wish you and your your uh, family and uh, certainly your, your listeners a, a very happy and merry Christmas and a, a happy and healthy 2021. Well, there you have it, the amazing Tony Bonner. What an inspiration. It's all in the heart and the heart is emotional but science is physical so you know what the theremin means Yes, science bitches. Why? You know why. Because you know what we want you to do? You know what we want you to have? We want you to be like Brad when you're done here. Check out the big brain on Brad. 
You're a smart motherfucker. That's right. That's right. That's right. You're going to be a smart motherfucker after you've listened to all 41 of these episodes by the end of next week. So, for the second to the last time in Science Bitches, we've got a special one for you. And by special, I really do mean special. Well, a lot of people worship the Dalai Lama. Maybe they should just worship the Lama. The Lama. You know why? Because from the National Institute of Health and the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, here's a stroke of good luck. Neuroscientists have isolated promising mini antibodies against COVID-19 from, yep, a Lama. Preliminary results suggest anti-COVID-19 nanobodies may be effective at preventing and diagnosing infections. Researchers have isolated a set of promising tiny, tiny antibodies, also called nanobodies, against SARS-CoV-2 that were produced by a llama named Cormac. I am serious. Named Cormac. Where do you see the photo in the show notes? Preliminary results suggest these could in prevent infections and detect virus particles by grabbing hold, grabbing hold of SARS-CoV-2 spike proteins. In addition, the nanobody appeared to work equally well in either liquid or aerosol form, suggesting it could remain effective after inhalation. I just spraying llama stuff all over the place. What the fuck is that? That's llama spray, motherfucker. Llama spray. The study was led by a pair of neuroscientists, Thomas J. T.J. Esparza and David Brody, MD, PhD, real MD, not like Dr. Jill Biden, real MD, not PhD, who work in a brain imaging lab at the National Institute of Health's National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. For years, quote, TJ and I had been testing out how to use nanobodies to improve brain imaging. Of course, what else would they be doing on a Thursday night? But when the pandemic broke, we thought this was a a once-in-a-lifetime, all-hands-on-deck situation and join the fight, said Dr. Brody, who is also a professor at Uniformed Sciences University. That sounds fake. For the health sciences, I, I know, it's just one of those things. If you had a diploma on your wall... Where are you from, doctor? Uh, the Uniformed Sciences Services University for the Health Sciences. Okay, it's got to be real. It's in Science Daily. We hope that these anti-COVID-19... He's a real doctor, not like Dr. Jill. We hope that these anti-COVID-19 nanobodies may be highly effective, highly effective, and, and versatile in combating the coronavirus pandemic. A nanobody, for those of you that don't know, I know my listeners know nobody's, nanobodies, everybody's, hot bodies. A nanobody is a special type of antibody naturally produced by the immune systems of camelids, a group of animals that includes, you guessed it, camels, llamas, and alpacas. So if you've got a nice alpaca sweater, maybe you could just snort it and you ain't going to get COVID. On average, these proteins are about the tenth the weight of most human antibodies. This is going to get intense now. Hold your breath. Listen closely. Take notes. 
This is because nanobodies isolated in the lab are essentially free-floating versions of the tips of the arms of heavy-chain proteins, which, of course, everyone knows, form the backbone of the typical Y-shaped protein Ig-G antibody. What the fuck are they talking about? Let's, let's get down to the 411 on this thing. Let's get down to the 411. Initial experiment showed one candidate called NIH-COVNP-112 could work very well. This nanobody stuck directly to the ACE2 receptor binding portion of the spike protein, which in simple language using the Bobby Galinsky translator means that stuff from a llama will stop COVID. Now, the team has applied for a patent on the NIH-COVNB-112 nanobody, as you would. Bruce, did you apply for that patent? Yes, it's, it's, it's in the way. It's on the way. Although we have a lot more work ahead of us, quoting Mr. Esparza, these results represent a promising first step. With support from the NIH, which the NIH is safe now without Brexit, sending money to Belgium and loser countries, Albania, whatever. We are quickly moving forward to test whether these nanobodies could be safe and effective preventative treatments for COVID-19. Collaborators are also working, in conclusion, to find out whether they could be used for inexpensive and accurate testing. Well, I think that they should call the spray the Dalai Lama, because if you've seen one virus or one Dalai Lama, you've seen them all. And that was today's most zeitgeist prescient science, bitches. Celebrate yourselves. On your marks, get set. Bake. 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 Bake, 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 bake. Yes, it's the Christmas season, the holiday season, and we have been cooking up a storm. The oven, the oven, well, as Hitler said, the ovens have never been turned off since I've been in power. And this week, it's been a Jewish baking extravaganza. And, um... Real quickly, and the pictures are in the show notes, went crazy, went crazy, and made, inspired by Jamie Oliver, I can't take this as an original recipe, my, my 10 chili, whoa, 10 chili, peri-peri chicken with potatoes and amazing peri-peri herbaceous sauce and homemade coleslaw. Let me tell you, it was a it was a summer picnic. It was lovely. It was absolutely lovely. It was amazing. Well, let me tell you, the ten chilies, it was smoking hot, and we just butterfly the chicken, put these chilies in fennel, harissa, potatoes, onion, heaps of stuff, and you'll see the pictures. And all I can say is, fuck Nando's. Forget your peri peri chicken sauce and stuff like that that you buy at the store. This was the hottest chicken town. The hottest chicken town. Amazing. And washed it down like I am at this exact moment on Christmas morning. Washing it down 
with um, a Weberova white Russian. Because I am a white Russian of sorts, a Ukrainian, as I said before, as you know from my heritage. But the Weberova vodka, beautiful vodka, Kahlua, and full cream milk. Very simple. Beautiful summer drink. It is summer here in Australia. And uh, that's why this podcast is really flying right now. Really flying. Because you can drink and podcast. You can't, well, you can drink and drive too. You can drink and pilot if you want. Um, You shouldn't. And I wouldn't advise it. But you can. But it's completely legal. And I would advise having a drink and podcasting. Because it uh, takes away the sadness. And it gets you very excited as we come to the pointy end of this episode. And you know what that is. What's he wearing while he's drinking? A lot of people always say that. He's having a few drinks. He's having a drink on a Friday morning, holiday, Christmas. Wonder... What attire he might have. So, you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass-kicking outfit, bitch! And yes, after 40 weeks of changing clothes for you and myself with an amazing variety of clobber, as we say, from the most casual and inexpensive to some hot couture. I'm going to leave it up to you, the viewer, but your listeners know your viewers now to check the show notes, check out the outfit and either comment or email on what you think your podcaster was wearing because you should be educated by now. Now, for those of you that have recently tuned into the podcast, and going, WTF is he talking about? Well, this is an opportunity for you to revisit earlier episodes where in almost every episode, in fact, of 36 of the 40 thus far, 38 actually with a couple of reduxes and reprises, you can find out exactly what I've been wearing and the history behind it, the amazing designers, the history, because fashion is simply that art that you can put on and walk around. And uh, love to hear how smart the listeners are and let me know what you think. You might win something. You might not. That's a disclaimer. I have no idea. Might give something away like we did with um, the um, send in the photo of you listening early on. Or we just might not. But I just want to know. So there you go. A little bit of intrigue. Little bit of intrigue. All I can tell you is you'll know the label if you're smart of both the top, the bottom, and the shoes. Yes, it's the entertainment news as we get towards wrapping up here. And there's only been one thing I can really recommend this week, and I must highly, highly recommend it. I might 
ostensibly implore you to watch it. And we saw it on Foxtel recently. It escaped us. It came out in 2017, feature film, and it's called The Disaster Artist. Now, if you've ever seen the film The Room, then you will know what this film is about. If you haven't seen The Room, don't see The Room. See this film, which is one of the most bizarre films, comedy, love story, tragedy, Hollywood insider film. And I rate in one of my top 25 films of the decade that you must see. I'm not going to give away any spoilers because it's just, it's, it's just too hard. But um, the disaster artist stars the amazing James Franco, and it was directed by James Franco. Also stars his brother Dave Franco, Seth Rogen, and won quite a few awards in 2017. And the short of it is an aspiring filmmaker and actor moved to L.A. to look for Hollywood stardom. And that's all I'm going to tell you. It is astonishing. A must-see. We're going to go through next week the top 10 films of the decade, the top 10 films of the year, the best music, everything like that. But um, that's just a little preview of what you need to do as homework for next week. And just wrapping up, wrapping up a piece of news to kind of bring it all into focus, all in the focus. How many of you know about Binks the Cat? Do you know about Binks the Cat? Well, if you do, then you are my, oh God, you are my absolute favorite listener. And thanks to Kate Withers of the Latrobe Valley Express, a newspaper highly regarded in 23 countries, the ones that listen to the way it is. But let me tell you, cheers to Binks the cat who won a dog show. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, as the saying goes. But no such phrase exists with references to felines. And one senior cat from Trafalgar has proved the opposite. And that may in fact apply for his species. Binks, the 16-year-old Moggy, found himself with time to burn during quarantine and, like many, cats are so smart, decided to try his paw at a new hobby. He has been moonlighting as a long-tailed hunting terrier with the help of his owner, a dog trainer. So convincing is Binks' impersonation of a dog that he put all the canine competitors to shame at a dog show, an international dog show in August. Yes, a dog show. And you know my hierarchy of animals in the animal kingdom. Cats are number one. They are gods to be worshipped. Dogs are number two. Humans are number three. Democrats are number four. There's some suborders here. We'll go into those next week. Owner Carrie Piper has been training dogs, specifically border collies, in performance arts for more than 30 years. But when staged events were hijacked by the wolf flu this year, she turned to virtual competitions with an unlikely contender in tow. Quote, we compete on the world stage, and one of my older dogs is actually one of the best in the world, Carrie said. She knows her stuff. She knows her stuff. 
in February, one of the associations said they were going to run a novelty competition to encourage people to keep training, and there were no rules. I love anything that says no rules, other than it had to be safe and use a particular song. Please check the show notes for the photo here. I'm a big fan of stretching rules. This girl's my my spirit animal. And there was nothing that said it had to be a dog or a particular breed of dog. I thought, right, they're the only rules. So I looked at my cat. Can you see it coming? Can you see this coming? And said to him, come on, Binks. Let's do some dancing. The purring prodigy wowed a panel of judges from the U.S. in his debut show so much that he was awarded in several categories. He now holds, Binks the Cat, now holds titles in canine conditioning and fitness, expert tricks, triple crown, and even quarantine canine parkour, all despite his pedigree. Oh my God, I love this. He also made history by coming the first non-canine competitor in the world to title in the live stunt dog competition. See, this is cool. This is not like transsexuals um, competing in male or female sports events. This is not like a guy who's, you know, trans to a woman competing against women. This is not like women who've trans. This is legitimate animal kingdom shit. He satisfied all the requirements as well as any dog could, Kerry said. He's very good at healing, but... His favorite things are spins and sits, and he's very good at paws on things. Quote, I expect all the animals I work with to do what they're asked to do, so they're used to bargaining with me for food. And Binks really likes dental treats, so that was his motivation. They could use a few more dental treats in parts of New Zealand, I can tell you. There's limitations to what Binks can do because he's old now. He used to beg and roll over but I don't ask him to do that anymore. Beg and roll over. Actually, when I see people busking on the mall, the Burke Street Mall, I might see if they can beg and roll over for dental treats. I might try that. Just kidding. At 16, I, re I really do hate the begging on the mall. I, I just don't like, don't like it. I hear the stories that they're making hundreds of dollars a day and that's fake, fake begging. Could be legit. Don't like that. May have to talk about that next week. At 16, 16, Binks has well and truly hit the twilight years of his nine lives. And he will now enjoy retirement and, unlike Diego Maradona, go out on a high as a celebrated world champion after his first and final competition. Wow. How amazing was that? How amazing was that? So, he made no mistakes. And let me leave you with this about blunders and mistakes from Seth Godin. In chess, a blunder is a mistake no one can excuse. Even one blunder, and you're probably going to lose. In our vigilance to avoid blunders, sometimes we try to eliminate mistakes as well. For understandable reasons, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid blunders and minimizing mistakes. But if that's all we do, we've given up the chance to do something magical. If you're working on the frontier, if you're leading, creating, or inventing, you've signed up for mistakes. 
Yes, you have. That's the price of innovation. After the fact, it's easy for an attempt at great work to look like nothing but a blunder. But you might have just simply made a mistake that we can all learn from. And speaking of blunders and mistakes, I'm going to try and avoid any blunders or mistakes in a few minutes as I go out and I light the Weber kettle and slow cook that Christmas turkey. Oh God, it's going to be so magnificent. Might have a prawn cocktail, might have a lobster cocktail while we wait for the hours for it to roast and turn golden brown. Maybe a martini or two, because it's Christmas, bitches. And then next week I'm going to have lunch with the King of Elwood for the last time this year and discuss his world domination and my retirement. So on that note, ladies and gentlemen, have a wondrous Christmas, and I'll see you, and you know I will, next week for one last time on New Year's. God bless. Take care. Be safe. Eat heaps. And to all of you locked down around the world, this too shall pass. Good night.